Let us pray. God, you're an awesome God, and we thank you for the weather here in Phoenix. It's beautiful. We thank you for just uh, moving on from summer to a little bit of, of winter, um, although I guess it's going to go backwards the other way. But we just thank you for living in Arizona during this time. We, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship tonight and just dig into your word and just hear words from, from, your, from your book that, that share hope with us, that share encouragement for us, and sometimes that just share, oh, we need to do this better, this better, but all the while reminding us of your grace and of your love for us. And so, Father, speak into us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Hey, so I'm going to start today with a little bit of an announcement. Last week we did a capital campaign, and we got the results as far as Thursday goes. And we have raised, essentially, with our... With our savings and what was just pledged, over $500,000, $502,000, which is extraordinary, actually, during COVID and everything that's going on. This allows us to do the water line, to redo all of our parking, and to make a huge effort in adding new parking, right? It lets us do a chunk of what we propose. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to fix everything that we need fixed so that we can move forward in the future. So I just want you to say, yay, God, because that's an awesome thing. And I want you to say thank you, God, as you go out this week and, and just in your prayers and stuff like that, say thank you for answering yet again in your awesome way. Because if you add this to the thing he's already doing on 31st Street, $2.2 million project that he just did on our site which is beyond anything that we could do by ourselves, right? It's just awesome. And so we thank him for these many blessings. All right, so we're in Numbers, and if you've in chapter 12 today, and I just want to kind of preface this whole teaching tonight by just saying this. I think as we go through life, it's easy to forget. It's, it's easy to forget God's coming through for us in the past. It's it's easy to forget how many prayers he's answered. It's, it's easy to forget the, the things that he's gotten us through. It's, it's just easy to forget because every new battle that we face, sometimes it just seems like that's the only thing we can remember, the only thing that we can preoccupy our time with. And we hear God's promises, but for whatever reason, it's hard for us to trust them in every new situation. Sometimes what I encourage in moments like this is to do a prayer journal, right? To write down... Over the course of a year or the course of a lifetime, just, hey, I prayed this prayer here, and then, you know, you have a date next to it when God answers. And you kind of go through that over and over and over. And that becomes kind of a living testament between you and God of his faithfulness. Because I promise you, if you do that for any period of time, there is a ton of answered prayers as you go through that. And as you leave through the pages, you go, oh, yeah, I was freaked out about this, but God answered here. And I was worried about this, and God answered here. And I was scared out of my mind here, and God answered here. And if you get that picture of what that would be like as you journey in life, and every new scenario that you come up against, you can leaf through his answered prayers. It gives you confidence then to trust him anew. In many ways, that's what Numbers is. It's a story of blowing it. It's a story of not remembering. It's a story of pursuing our own selfishness and blaming God for the bad things that happen. And it's a story of God again and again and again, reminding, sometimes disciplining, but sharing again and again that you are my people and I love you. And it's a long journey. could have been a short journey, just like many of our things in life. If we would have done things the right way, we could have gone right there, but we take these detours along the way. So again, remember they're at Mount Sinai and they, they're just heading out. That's chapter 11 and verse 12. I'm just going to pick up from verse 1 again. I know we did the first three verses, but I'm going to share them again. It says, Miriam, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to start in chapter 11. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. 
And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. So God says it's time to go. They're like all excited. Let's go. We're going to the promised land. Three days into the trip, they're already complaining. I mean, the sun's in my... I think about your golf game or, or all the excuses that you use. The sun was in my eyes. Oh, it's hot out here. Probably it's 120 just like Phoenix. You know, it's in the desert. I don't know. It, they haven't been used to walking so, so much, and so they're cramping up, and they got blisters maybe on I don't know. But they're just complaining about whatever in the world that they can complain about. Three days into the journey. Now, it's hard. They're moving everything they've got. Everybody, anybody here like moving? Uh, anybody here complain while they're moving? Everybody should be raising their hand. So we get that they're complaining a little bit, right? Three days into the journey, they're complaining about their misfortunes. They're complaining about how hard it is. Why? Because they forgot. All of a sudden, they're just focused on the immediate, and they forget where they're going. Oh, we're going to the promised land where God's going to give us the land of milk and honey. Oh, yeah, that was the promise made to Abraham way back in the day. God's fulfilling it. This is after all the things that we've seen. This is pretty cool stuff. But no, we don't remember any of that. We're caught up in the moment. And God gets ticked off. What, what in the world's going on with you guys, he says. What, why, why did you forget the plagues or, or the Red Sea or, or the pillar of fire that's here or all the things, that, the laws that I gave you for, to show you that you are my people, the graces that I've given you to be forgiven when you blow it? Why? You know, he's just pulling this. If I had hair, I'd be pulling out, right? But the reality is, he's, I just don't get it. Why, how, it's been three days. But they've already not just got frustrated, they're not just complaining, but they're complaining that God is being unfair. Right? And don't we do the same thing? God, don't you see me in my pain? I mean, this stuff's hard that I'm dealing with right now. Why don't you take it away? Why don't you make this easier? Why is this so filled with discomfort? And, and, and nothing's going according to my plan. And, and I just ripped my new pair of jeans on this trip. I mean, <laughs> everything's going wrong. And they're blaming God in his hearing for the difficulties of taking them to the promised land. So God helps them remember. Sometimes, remember, God's the perfect dad. He's the most loving dad you could possibly have. But there's a discipline side to him, too. So we share some discipline. And he lights up the edge of camp with some fire, and it starts burning up some of their stuff. It doesn't say anybody whose life was lost, but maybe. And he did it to get their attention. And it did. Praise be to God, three days into the journey, they knew enough to turn back to the Lord. And so they went to Moses and say, man, we're so sorry. Tell God we're sorry. You know? And they did. And Moses did. And God made the fire go away. I mean, they did the right thing. They blew it. They got the understanding that they blew it. They went right to Moses. They repented. God answered their prayer. Then the people cried out to Moses in verse 2, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. i got to imagine it's just a few days later, maybe the next day, I don't know. Now the rabble that was among them, we talked about the rabble being the, the non-Israelites that had kind of come along for the ride. Maybe they're married to some Israelites. Maybe they saw God's power and wanted to be part of his blessing. That makes sense too. But anyway, they had a, the rabble among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. Right? You go out with the old fishing pole. I guess we 
We did that in the evenings after slaving away because they were slaves for, you know, 10 hours a day or whatever it was. Fish to eat that cost us nothing, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all to look at except for this manna. You know, the heavenly gift from God that's sustaining him for the last year, this, this kind of bread stuff that tastes like honey. I mean, that sounds like some good bread right there. You know, stuff that they can make into all sorts of different things to sustain them on their journey. They must have also had nutrients, right, galore in them to, to give the person everything they needed for that hard trip because, you know, the rest of the food was pretty scarce. But now, I want a hamburger. Right? I want a steak. I mean, you know, anybody who's tried to go vegetarian or just kind of tried to cut back on their meat for a while, you know, after a while, you're like, man, a hamburger sounds good. You know, Mike's been so faithful. Actually, he's, he's been trying to diet and stuff like that. And he's been so faithful of that. The other day, I was like, want to go to Shake Shack? You know, but I want to credit him. He said no. And that was good for me, too, because I, I, I need to do the same thing, right? But sometimes you just want, you know, a burger or whatever. Okay, so we get the people, right? That they're, they're, I mean, that, that, you know, the, the man is good, but, but they just want something different. We, we even get the selfishness of that. But they're crying out, and it's not just to say, I'd like a hamburger. You're saying, God, you're being unfair that you're not letting me have one. I mean, you could make the manna. I mean, you could... Remember when you brought the quail on their way to, to, to Sinai? Remember that? You should do that again. That would be so awesome. In fact, you should maybe do it once a week. We love a hamburger once a week. All those kind of things. But they said nothing. We have nothing at all but this manna to look at. Almost disregarding it or being unthankful for the gift that God's provided. Now Moses goes on and inserts this, I'm sure, and says the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of uh, bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and, and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes out of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in, it, in the night, the manna fell with it. So Moses is just making the, the case that it's not all just, you know, pita bread, right? You could do all sorts of cool stuff with it. And here's the other thing. It appears every morning for you to collect and sustain yourself throughout the day. On Saturday, or I guess it would be on Friday, two days appear, so you collect double the days, and nothing appears on Saturday, which was the Sabbath day. And that's kind of weird, that it would appear six days and not the other seventh day. But, so God's doing this to show them, to remind them that he is providing this. But it wasn't enough. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of their tent, which is a sign of united opposition. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Moses was making a little bit about himself at this point, okay? He should have been making about the Lord's righteous anger or whatever, but he was making a little bit about himself. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Blaming God for how hard it is to kind of corral this bunch of people that's always consumed with their selfishness. Again, they're heading to the promised land. You had to think Moses all the time was having a sign, just holding it up. Go into the promised land. Stop complaining. Go into the promised we're, we're then two weeks away, probably a week away from the promised land. Just hold it together, people. You know, But they wouldn't. I don't know if you've served in a leadership role or, or try to do something hard with a, a big group of people. It's like turning a big ship, trying to get them all on board, trying to get them all rowing in the same direction, trying to get them excited about the future destination, trying to do all that kind of stuff. And if there's resistance... Again, I guess this is what I've done my whole career because I don't have any more hair, right? I mean, the reality is you just, 
you don't know what to do. And you're frustrated and you start doubting. I don't think I'm good at it. There's no way I can do this, God. And that's where Moses was. I mean, these people are too hard to lead. Nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody wants to listen to me. Everybody's mad because I don't have hamburger stands everywhere for people to eat. I mean, this is nuts, God. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay this burden of all this people on me? So Moses is having a pity party, isn't he? This is hard. Harder than I want it to be, God. And he's just like the people is complaining to the Lord, why are you doing this to me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Seems that that's what God's asked them to do, right? Nurse them along. Get them along. Get them to the promised land. And then he says, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For the wheat before me, and they say, give us meat that we may have meat. They're in the middle of a desert. There's no meat stands there. What are you talking about, meat? We, that's why we have this, this manna everywhere for us to eat on the way to the promised land that is filled with milk and honey and does have meat. So we just got to wait like a little bit till we get there, and then everything's going to be provided. That's the glory. That's the prize. That's what we're going toward. I'm not able to carry all these people alone, God. The burden's too heavy for me. Sometimes, even as a parent, sometimes, you know, you just, you do all this saving, you get ready for the vacation, you know, you're spending all this money to have a nice place to stay, to do the gas that gets you there on the trip, and, <laughs> and is everybody excited? No. Or maybe they were excited, but, you know, 20 minutes into the trip, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it just drives you nuts. I can't, I can't do this, God. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is way too heavy for me. If you're going to treat me like this, kill me, kill me. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. In other words, kill me now so that I don't have to watch myself fail. So I, I don't need to watch these people stone me. So just kill me now and let me, let me go because this is too hard. We're never going to get there at this rate. These people are too rebellious. They don't trust you. Nobody's getting it. I, I don't know what else I can do to help people understand. You need to come through more, God. That's his thing. You've got to show yourself more. And God's saying, Okay, the plagues, you know, we walk through a, a sea, you know, with water on both sides. There's a pillar of fire. I've provided for every one of your needs. I, you need me more? Moses cried out, yeah, because they're not getting it. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men and, of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you there. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it by yourself. And say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. So I'm going to stop there for a second. So what he's doing, at least in the first part, he's saying, okay, I've got you some judiciary help. 
already, right? Remember that? When you were trying to judge all the cases of Israel, I had you appoint all these guys. You have all sorts of judges helping you. But now I need to give you some leadership help. And so that's what he's doing with these guys. He's going to put the Spirit of the Lord on them. They're going to testify that they've been chosen by God by prophesying in a little bit. And you'll see that. So that they've been kind of confirmed as people that God has chosen to lead. And it just makes sense. One of the things that that I tell the staff when we're trying to do new things, they'll, they'll, they'll inevitably say, oh, a pastor, I'm, a, I'm already working, you know, 40, 50 hours already. How can you ask me to do this? And I say, well, if you don't have time, I guess we've got to find people to help us, right? That's always the answer. And you guys want to help, don't you? <laughs> You're like, uh, yeah, you know. But the reality is, Find people that have the same passions, that can get excited about the ministry, that get excited about bringing Jesus to people in different ways like you are. And gather them together, and then all of a sudden, it's not just you trying to do it all by yourself. You've got a whole bunch of people helping you. That's true in any leadership thing. And so God says, okay, Moses, here's 70 guys. And I'm going to confirm them with my spirit. And they're going to be accountable to me and to you, Moses. But the reality is they're going to help you lead. You're not going to have to row this whole ship by yourself. i got 70 guys now putting their war in the order of water to help you get to where you need to go. And they'll be a comfort to you and they'll be a support to you mainly. And, and it's just going to help you as you go forward. And then he turns to the people. And he says, hey guys, tomorrow you're going to eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it is better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. And you shall not eat for one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? Now, just so far in the thing, do you, do you think this is going to go well for him? Is this going to be like the time before where they cried out to the Lord because they didn't have food, where this time they have food, it's just not good enough? They want a hamburger instead of the lettuce they keep, or I'm sorry, the, the bread they keep eating, right? They just want something different. It's not to sustain them anymore like it was in the, on the way to Sinai. It's just for something different. Whenever you would rebel against the Lord, at least on this journey, you'll see God's discipline. And Scripture says that God disciplines those that he loves. And if you spend any time on this earth, you've seen God discipline you too, right? You get off going one way and because God loves you, kind of hits you over the head with a sledgehammer or whatever it is to get your attention and kind of corrals you back this way. God does that again and again and again because he loves you, just like a good parent does, right? Your kids go one way, well, that's not the good way, so you, you give them a little swatter, you send them to timeout or however it is that you discipline them to get their attention. So they go back toward the right ways, the ways that you have set up, the ways that you know are good for them, are best for them. That's what God's doing here. So again, he's going to use this as an example of, please trust me. Please stop going against me. I need to discipline you, just like I would say to my daughters when they're growing up, to help you learn good from evil, right? Because I love you, because God is giving me this to teach you this so that you you know, can move out of the house one day, right? I mean, that's the, kind of the idea behind it. All right. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month? 
Shall flocks and herds or be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Hmm. Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. I want you to think of Jesus with the disciples. And Jesus said to one of his disciples, I forget which one now, he said, hey, go give this crowd of people here that's gathered by the countryside, go give them something to eat. <laughs> They're like, could a year's wages pay for all the food that these people would eat? I mean, where are we going to find the food? You've got to be kidding me, Jesus. Jesus broke some bread and some fish, right, and fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, which is probably close to 15,000 people that day out of nothing. Similar kind of thing. Numbers are bigger here, right? Moses is saying the same thing. Are you kidding me? Where am I going to find enough stuff? Where could I? It's impossible. And the Lord just looks at him. Okay, Moses, did you forget the plagues and the Red Sea and the and pillar of fire and, and how I provided for you and the mountain on fire and me talking to you every day? Is there something that I've done here to you that would make you doubt that I could do this? And all of a sudden Moses gets it. He had been making it about him. Why? Because the people had been vilifying him for not being able to come through. They were blaming Moses. They were getting mad at Moses. There was talk of stoning Moses. He was freaked out. He was ill-equipped. There was no way he could do it. And he was totally consumed with himself at the moment. And then God says, is my arm shortened? No. Watch, Moses. And yet again, maybe this time you'll learn. Maybe this time you can remember. This time I'll show you again that I'm the one that will provide. Trust me. If you're not trusting me, how in the world are the people going to trust me? So Moses went out and he told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders and the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on 70 elders. And as the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So what happened is that they kind of got a, well, it talks about in Samuel too, they did something unusual, right, in their prophesying. Not only were they prophesying the words of the Lord, but they were doing it in kind of an extra normal way. So just let everybody know, these guys are special. And they were doing it by the tent, and they were just prophesying. And, and people were, remember, it's the center of camp, and they were noticing this. They were like, okay, God chose them. Clearly God chose them, like speaking in tongues and something like that, but it was prophecy. But two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the Spirit rested also on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. Nobody knows why they didn't come. Maybe they were sick, or maybe they were just being stinkers. But irregardless of the reason, the Lord, to make a point, put a Spirit on them as well. Authenticated them as future leaders of Israel, and said, you're going to help Moses. And it was done in a way that they could not deny the privilege, but they realized that this was now God's calling upon them. But a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and if it's because they were stinkers, it's because, man, they shouldn't be doing that, right? They've been talking against you. They've been leading the people in their frustration or whatever. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Remember I said Moses finally got it when the Lord says, my arm too short? 
He wasn't worried about his position at that point. God gave them his spirit. If God gave them his spirit, it was good. It was for a good purpose. He was working good for Moses. He was working good for the people of Israel. This was a God thing. And then he realized if they're prophesying, they're on the same page as God. And if they're prophesying, they're helping me because I'm on the same page as God. This is an amazing thing. Who cares who's doing it? What that everybody in this place was doing it. And they got ex- and he, and so I, hopefully that reframed it for Joshua and they got excited. <laughs> but now for the consequence. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought, brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp. And about two cubits above the ground, about three feet, and people rose all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten omers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with this very great plague. Therefore the name of the place was called Kirath Hatava, or something like that, because they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibaroth Hatava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained there at Hazaroth. That Kitabah Hatava literally means graves of greediness. So probably most of them thought, hey, we complained enough, God heard us, he brought us some hamburgers, he brought us the quail, right? They feel like we manipulated God. That's what they used to do, the idols of the day, right? Anyway, they would do things to try to manipulate those gods into answering. They were doing the same thing. Felt like it worked. God's going to answer again. This is sweet. You know, we're excited about this. So they went and they gathered as much as they could. Man, we're going to have hamburgers every day this week, every day this month. Okay, so you're finally chowing down. God does something while you're eating it. And it causes a plague to go out and kill a whole bunch of people. I don't know if he turns it into something or if it just has some disease or whatever the deal Think about the rest of that month. Are you hungry for quail? I don't know, right? I don't know if you're hungry somewhere because you realize there's been a punishment from the Lord because of your distrust, because of your selfishness, because of your ungratefulness. Again, God sees everything. He knows everything. You don't get away with anything with God because He sees, He knows. But that's also a good thing because he cares and he loves. That's the other part. And so he continues to pursue you with his love. He continues to discipline you in his love so that you'll be one to him one day in heaven. That's both the law and the gospel of God, right? But he's the perfect dad. And he needed to get their attention again. There's a danger when we start complaining or when hard things happen to us in life. There's a danger to start blaming God for the things that are going on. Yet we know from Scripture that God is not the author of evil. But you know people. Maybe you've been those people. Something really hard happened. It wasn't the vending machine. You needed them to be at that moment. You needed this prayer answered or whatever. And you start getting mad at the God who loves you because he didn't do it your way. And if you get mad enough, you start walking away from him. 
whenever hard things happen, we need to run to him. I was talking to a lady, had one of the most horrific things that a, a person could possibly go through. And she said, Pastor, there were times that I was yelling at God and I was screaming at him. And I said, how, God, can I trust you ever again? This is way too hard. Why, why, why? But here's the thing. She kept talking to him. She kept pursuing him, and God kept wrapping his arms of love around her again and again and again to remind her that he had her, to remind her that there is purpose, to remind her that he's working all things for her good, to remind her in no uncertain terms that he would walk her through this very brutal time in life to get her to the other side. We always have a choice as we're going through life, either to run to God or to run away from God. And when we get mad at him and vilify him because he doesn't do it the way we want, and if we could just boil it down, we'd see how silly that is. But the reality is we do it all the time. That's where we get into trouble. That's where it's clear rebellion against God. That's where it's accusing God of sin. Remember in the garden? Well, I mean, it's like Satan's great, great, great ways of deception. Number one, did God really say... I really say you need to go to the promised land. You're pretty good by Mount Sinai. Did God really say, you know, that it had to be this hard? Second thing, he tells you a half-truth. I think it's because he doesn't care that you're going through this trouble. Third truth, imputing God of evil. And maybe that's the last one, right? Imputing God of evil. It's because God doesn't care that he allows you to go through this difficulty. It's not because he loves you. God, God who loves you wouldn't let you go through this, right? That's the out-and-out lie, the last part of the deception. And that's what we buy into when we get mad at the Lord. And that is unbelief. And that is rebellion against Him. In verse, or chapter 12, it says, Miriam and Aaron. And so, again, remember, it only takes a week or two weeks to get there. They're already like halfway there. It doesn't take that long to get to the promised land. So all this stuff is happening within certainly short of a month, all right? But, but, but not very long. So now his own family. You think about a knife in your back from people close to you? Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, spoke against Moses. Now, Miriam was older sister, Aaron was older brother. Moses was younger. Uh, spoke against Moses because of his Cushite wife, whom or Cushite woman that he had married, and he, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, "Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also?" And he had Miriam had prophesied, right? Aaron was the the, the high priest. I mean, of course, God had kind of visited them once or twice, but the Lord heard it. I guess their position wasn't big enough. I mean, how come Moses gets to do this? His wife isn't even Jewish. I mean, how in the world is that working? He even had to send her away for a while because she was being too difficult for him, you know? I mean, why, why is he the leader? Who does he think he is? Right? The people are already mad at him. And in our weakest moments as leaders, that's when people pounce. Oh, here's an opportunity to knock the guy off, right? Here's an opportunity for us to have more say. Whenever he seems weak, that's when we go after him. And somehow, Miriam and Aaron, they got caught up in that. They spoke against Moses. <laughs> now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. It was an ominous kind of thing, especially had just been recently com- complaining against the Lord and the Moses. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they had both come forward. And he said, Hear my words, 
If a prophet is among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. In other words, I pick who my servants are going to be. I pick who the prophet is going to be. I pick, not you guys. That's number one. I'm going to share three things, but I want to make sure you get that. So I, the Lord, make myself known to you in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Number two, Moses is special even amongst my prophets. I've handpicked him. I talk with him in ways I don't talk to anybody else. I am blessing this group of people, and he is my chosen leader. And then number three, he calls them right out on what they did. Why were you not then afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Who are you guys that you think you can be in charge, that you can choose who leads my people? Who are you? But isn't this the problem of ministry in general and the problem of just life in general? We get prideful and... And pride kills, doesn't it? Associate pastors want to be senior pastors. Senior pastors in small churches want to be senior pastors in big churches. Uh, you're, you're always looking to climb the corporate ladder. Everybody's looking out for themselves. Everybody thinks they deserve to be in the next spot up. We convince ourselves we're all that in a bag of chips. If somebody would just give us an opportunity. But in God's house, it works a little differently, doesn't it? He picks us. Even in the church, we talk about the calling of the pastors. And I'll just say this. God doesn't call everybody to be in ministry. He just doesn't. And you should thank God for that, right? But he does call certain people. And when he calls them, they should listen. Because God has a different plan for their life. And he does something differently in those people than he does everybody else. And I don't know why he chooses different people. I ask that question about me all the time. It's weird, right? But the reality is he just does it with certain people. And he's the one that leads people into ministry. Why else would you do it? (laughs) I mean, really. But it's a God thing. It just is. And God places pastors or or different people that work in the church over you for your spiritual benefit, spiritual guides, leaders, right? Pastors to help you through this hard life. Because isn't life hard sometimes? I mean, we're living in COVID. It's weird sometimes. It's difficult. The elections have been so negative. I mean, everybody's angry, it seems, or frustrated because of the COVID and limitations and the dumb mass. I mean, it's just a strange time. So he places people in the church to help us remember And that's what tonight's about. I'm trying to help you remember who your God is, how much he loves you, how he pursues you with his love, how he disciplines you in his love, because he wants you in heaven one day. And so he puts these people to help us along the way. But how often do you hear people vilifying, not in this church, right, but but vilifying pastors or leaders in the church or questioning their judgment or all sorts of things. Not that they shouldn't be questioned, but they do it in a malicious sort of way because of pride. Pride is the thing that kills us. It's the thing that pits us against each other. Because you can't just anymore have a disagreement about red and green carpet, right? Well, shoot, you like green carpet? What's wrong with you? And we start to vilify because of pride. Because we can't possibly entertain the thought that somebody else could be right and we could be wrong. Moses or Miriam and Aaron, they just they lost sight They started thinking this was a man-made journey somehow in the midst of all the stuff that they had seen. They started thinking they could choose who the person was that stood before God. And they forgot that it was a God-directed thing. People ask me, why did God put 
the male is the head of the, the spiritual household? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, women feel things way better than guys do in some respects, right? I mean, but, but he just chose the guy for whatever reason, for the benefit of those households, to lead his kids, to lead his spouse, to be that spiritual strength so that they don't lose their anchor as they're trying to deal with life. And that's a responsibility he gives to you guys. And it's a big one. It's one that we should take seriously for the benefit of our wives and kids. And when we do, they're stronger. And when we have those kind of conversations, they start to get it. There's a powerful thing that happens in the midst of that. And when the guys abdicate, the women, you step up and you do it. Because it's better that somebody do it, right? And you've got to be ready to do that. That abdication of the guy is not okay. It weakens the family every single time. So anyway, they make a play. God corrects them with three very powerful statements. When the cloud is removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. God had gave her instantaneous judgment for crossing him. Was Miriam a neat Christian woman? Absolutely. Was she a God-feared woman? Absolutely. She just lost sight, gave in to her pride, and started saying, did God really say Moses was the only one? Somehow convincing her of the half-truth that she was worthy? And Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Man, I love this statement from Aaron. It was a sign of immediate contrition. Remember when he got caught up in the golden calf? He just wasn't strong enough to stand on his own. He wasn't strong enough to hold to what God had said. And then he, when Moses confronted him, he blamed the people. Not this time. This time he owned the sin immediately and he just cried out for mercy. That's amazing spiritual growth in Aaron. It's what we should do every single time God confronts us with our sin. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when it comes out of the mother's womb. And then Moses cried out before the Lord, humbling himself even though they attacked his leadership in this place before God. Moses cries out, Oh God, please heal her, please. This is as close as you get in Scripture to help. right? Heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, if a father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? And so the, the rule is if a father spit in the, your daughter's face, she'd have to be outside camp. She'd be unclean for seven days. And God's just saying, should I do no less in, in regards to what Miriam has done? So let her be shut outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp for seven days. And here's the other mercy. Not only did he heal her, but instead of moving on and leaving her behind, which would have furthered the judgment, he just waited. He waited the whole seven days before they started tracking off toward the promised land. And the people did not set on the march till Miriam was brought in again. And after that, the people set out from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. I want you to hear this clearly. There is no sin that you can do that can outsin the grace of God. He will continue to pursue you with his love. And when you repent, he will forgive you every single time. Shoot, he'll even work the repentance in your heart, right? That's the power of God. That's how much he loves you. That's why he disciplines us too, to work that repentance in our heart. But there's nothing that you can do that can outsend his grace. Somebody said, well, that's the sin of the Holy Spirit. Well, absolutely, that's unbelief, right? So unbelief will necessarily remove you from that. But anything short of that, as you're running to God, he will wrap you up in his arms and he will say, I love you, I forgive you, you're mine. 
It doesn't mean he'll take away all the consequences that you brought upon yourself, but he will give you the strength to get through each and every one and in his mercy actually take away things that you thought couldn't be taken away. And whenever you start pursuing God, following God, I promise you, your life starts taking a different direction than the past and your life gets better, more peace, more joy, more hope, more clarity on where it is that you need to be. Miriam blew it. In fact, she's listed first in this whole thing, indicating that she was the one that was driving this. And again, Aaron didn't have the strength to to say no and seemed awful complicit in it, actually. But he wouldn't let this rebellion be the end of her. He wouldn't let this rebellion keep her outside of his kingdom. And because of Jesus, he doesn't do that for you either. He loves you more than you can comprehend. And so he allows us to experience the consequences of life sometimes just to drive us back to him. He allows the world to experience difficulty at times to drive us back to him. Because his aim is not to make us happy all the way through this life, but to make us happy in eternity. And to do that, we need to be seeking him. We need to be wrapping ourselves up in his arms of love. We need to hear the words that we're forgiven and that he's there for us and that he cares for us and that he loves us again and again and again, lest we forget. So go with that encouragement today. And we'll pick up in chapter 13 next week, but go with that encouragement today that as you go through this life, you are never alone. And as you go through this life, God is never going to give up on you. You can stiff arm him for a while. It's a football term, right? But he will continue to pursue you until you're with him one day in heaven. So go with that hope and go with this prayer. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus and we thank you, Lord, as we walk through this time of, the, of, of numbers. It, I mean, if you're just reading it, you're like, oh, why are they not getting it? This is so frustrating. Why do they keep rebelling against him? Why do they not even trust him? It's only a short period of time. They're going to the promised land. That's the answer to everything that they've been hoping for for all these years. Why don't they get it? Why are they having such a hard time? And then we look at our own lives and we could probably say the exact same thing. Why do we get freaked out with every difficulty that comes our way? Why do we lose trust in God when things, big things, seem to be obstacles or or, or sources of pain in our life? Why do we give up praying when he doesn't answer within the week? Why are we slow, slow to believe and to trust that he's still working even when it doesn't seem like he is? that he's working all things for the good of those who believe in him. Father, help us with our unbelief. Help us with our distrust. Lead us continually back to you again and again and again. Let us learn from the difficult things in life and let that drive us to repentance and let us then again rejoice in the forgiveness and strength you give us to deal with life. Because to be honest, we need that right now in this world. There's a lot of weird stuff going on, a lot of hard things going on. And we need to be remember that you've got us, that we're yours. And that even in the midst of the yuck, you love us. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus for securing all that for us. And we pray that in his name today. And all God's people said, amen.